Love today like there's no tomorrow. And if there is, love again. Welcome to the Athens First UMC Sermons Podcast. I'm Sarah Lawing, Director of Online Productions. We hope you'll enjoy this weekly resource. The scripture lesson this morning is found in the book of Matthew, the fourth chapter, the first 11 verses. This is what scholars call uh, the temptation narrative. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He lasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards He was famished. The tempter came and said to Him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their heads they will hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Let us pray. Gracious God, in the privacy of our own hearts, we acknowledge to You that temptation comes our way in many forms, in many shapes, in many sizes. And we confess that there have been times we have given in to it. But as we consider Your Word this day, as we listen to the example of our Lord and Savior, we desire to overcome as He overcame. So speak to us now, O God. Strengthen this. Strengthen us in this time as we make our journey with You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thomas Merton once said, the greatest human temptation is to settle for too little. Consider that with me for a moment. The greatest human temptation is to settle for too little. Isn't that what Jesus is being confronted with now? Just settle for a little bit less than you thought you came for. In other words, you're not settling for nothing. You're not necessarily settling for something that is wrong. Just settle for less uh, than, than is intended for you. 
That's a temptation that we often face in our lives. We can accomplish something, we can do some good, but it might not be as full as we're called upon to do, and so we settle for too little. That is a temptation that we all experience. Just turn stones into bread. Well, I can do that, and that would be a powerful thing. And he would perform miracles during his ministry, but this is neither the time nor is it the place. We need to understand that when we're confronted with temptation. Is this the time, and is this, this, and is this the place for that? Then he's confronted with leap from the pinnacle of the temple. Do something daring because you know that you will not die. You know your angels will support you and find you and care for you. So go ahead and do that. Well, this is not the time nor the place for that. That is less than I have come to do. That's too little. There's more, there's better, there's a higher calling than that. And then the last one is power, the kingdoms of this world. I've not come to be the king of this world I've, been, I've come to be the king of my own kingdom. I talk about the kingdom of God and you being a part of it and not the kingdom of this world. So it's not as if Jesus is confronted with doing something terribly wrong. It's that Jesus is confronted with settling for too little. That was not His mission. That was not His ministry. And if I'm completely honest with you this morning, there are times when I settle for less. It's not that, that I settle for robbing a bank. It's not that I settle for taking a human life. It's that I settle for too little. I settle for so much less than God has for me. I love, but I don't love as fully as God knows I'm capable of loving. I believe, but I don't believe as fully as God is calling me to believe. I'm a hopeful person, but I'm not as hopeful as God wants me to become. And so I'm settling for too little. We all are confronted with that. One of the things this passage tells us is that we're all in the same boat. If Jesus was tempted, you and I can anticipate that we will be too. How did Matthew know about this story? How was it that Matthew could write this story, could let us know what happened when Jesus went into the wilderness, when He was not there? How is that? It has to be because Jesus told him the story. Jesus wanted His disciples to know that He too confronted temptation, that He had experienced that. So we know we share in this. We experience temptation. If our Lord and Savior did, we are going to. It's just a fact of life. So we might as well have an expectation that at some point in time, in various ways, it will come our way. And often, it follows success. That's what's so insidious about it. In the third chapter of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is baptized. It is a high and holy moment because at the conclusion of that, a voice from heaven says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. That was a high and holy moment. People were exposed to that and heard that. So Jesus goes from a moment of great success to a moment of great Temptation. Isn't that what happens to us quite often? 
Isn't that what happened to Elijah, the prophet? Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel and confronted the prophets of Baal. 450 of them. They both killed the fatted calf, prepared an altar. And the challenge was, call upon your God to bring fire to the altar. And so the prophets of Baal attempted to do that throughout the morning and into the afternoon. And Elijah was the first trash talker. Because Elijah was talking smack with the prophets of Baal. Y'all go ahead, take another hour or two. Go ahead and just keep trying, weeping and wailing, doing whatever it is you think is going to make your God act. And there He is making fun of them. And they finally give up and say, okay, it's just not going to happen. And Elijah says to his God, God, bring the fire. But bring the fire after I drench this altar with water. And the fire comes. And it's this glorious moment that becomes so obvious to the Israelites. Who is the one true God? And they all rejoice on the top of the mountain. And then someone comes to Elijah and whispers in his ear, Hey, this is going to make Jezebel really angry. She says she's going to have your hide for this. And what happens in that moment when God has so clearly moved? He's scared to death. And he runs and hides in a cave. How do you go from that moment of glory to that moment of overwhelmed by fear? Oftentimes, temptation comes to us immediately following great success. Peter sat at a table and Jesus broke bread and said, This is my body which is given for you. And then he passed a cup and he said, This is my blood which is shed for you. They shared in that holy sacred meal at Passover. And moments later, Peter denied that he even knew him. Not once, not twice, but three times. So this moment in the upper room that we remember even today when we receive communion, moments after that, Peter denies knowing him. Temptation works that way. Benjamin Franklin said, success has destroyed many a life. And it does, because oftentimes what follows is serious temptation. So the first thing... I want to say to you this morning about temptation is to expect it. Don't let it surprise you. It's coming to your life and it's coming to my life. So expect it. Understand it. If Christ experienced it, you are going to experience. So let's just take that. The second thing I would say to you about temptation is understand it. Because if you understand it, you can recognize it. In its darkest and deepest form, what is it? It's deception. The evil one is often called the great deceiver. Have you ever had a time in your life when you thought you were doing good? Your intentions were to do good. And you recognize about halfway down that road, you weren't doing good. You were doing something that was causing harm. Have you not ever experienced that? Have there been times in your life when you've been so deceived that you confused 
good and bad. Whenever we, we being preachers, preach this passage, some of the time the thing we focus on the most in the passage is that Jesus responded to temptation with Scripture. And we encourage the believer to equip themselves with Scripture. And that is a legitimate sermon on Matthew 4. But what I want to make you aware of today is this. Jesus isn't the only one quoting Scripture in this narrative. Satan quotes Scripture too. And Satan, the evil one, knows more Scripture than you do. And that's where it becomes so deceptive. In the second temptation, Jesus quotes Scripture, but the evil one quotes Scripture as well. It's so devious. It's so deceptive. Temptation dresses itself up sometimes, and it looks so good. It seems so true. Understand it for what it is. Satan is called the great deceiver. And the height of deception is when we are convinced we're on the right road and we're not. We're on the wrong road. So Jesus quotes Scripture. It's important to know. And we do battle temptation with Scripture. But make no mistake, Satan quotes Scripture too. And the application of that Scripture in this time and in this place would lead to destruction. It was wrong and it was evil. And so Jesus needed the capacity to understand it to be able to discern in that moment of conflict. I hope you're hearing this because sometimes, as Jenny Deal used to tell me, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We have good intentions, but we found ourselves down a road where our intentions have led us to do the wrong thing because we have been deceived. We've been fooled. Understand that. Will Willimon, Bishop Willimon, wrote a book a number of years ago, What's Right About the Church. And in the book he tells a story of a Sunday school class. They're a discussion class, and they participate in talking about current events and trying to make a biblical application to those events. What is the relevancy of Scripture to our real lives? And so they're talking about temptation. And the question is raised, well, tell me something in your life that's tempting to you. And a young salesperson in the class tells his story. He said, this week my boss came to me and he offered me a promotion. It would be more money. it would be recognized as someone who'd been very successful in sales. And I told him, I'm already away four nights a week from my wife and my daughter. 
And I, I'm not, I don't think this would be fair to them. And he said, my boss said to me, fair to them? Man, I'm asking you to do this for them. Well, I think I, I think if I did this, I would be less of a father and a husband that I want to be. And he said, no, you would be more of a father and a husband. Because your daughter is going to grow up and the expenses in her life are going to become greater. And you would have the opportunity uh, to afford those things that your daughter deserves and needs. I'm not asking you to be a lesser father or a lesser husband. I'm asking you to be away from home more. But I'm asking you to be more of a father and more of a husband. Fascinating, isn't it? What do you do with that? What is that? Is that temptation? Is there something sort of deceptive about that? The evil one is the great deceiver. We go through life making decisions every single day. And you and I know that we have to make them with care. They're not always easy. Sometimes there's a subtlety in there that can fool us. Do you consider the offer a legitimate one? Or do you consider that offer temptation? It's real in our world. Understand it. And lastly, confront it. Don't run from it. You can't escape it. So don't run from it. Confront it. Have you ever heard a younger sibling, I have three grandchildren, they're stair steps, sort of. And the youngest one says this a lot at this time in his life, and I said it a lot at the same time as he's doing it when I was that age. What does he tell his older siblings? He tells them, you're not the boss of me. Isn't that right? You're not the boss of me. Right? And, and that's what we say to temptation, right? You're not the boss of me. There's not a problem with that. It's a good thing to say. It just, I don't think it's enough. Temptation comes to us in our weakest spots. Temptation does not attack you at your strength. Temptation attacks you at your area of weakness. And if I ask you, show of hands, do you have strengths? Your hands would go up. And I ask you, and if I ask you, do you have weaknesses? Your hand would go up. We all know we have weaknesses, and we can be certain that is where temptation attacks us. One of the things that's been, for some reason, I don't know if it's more or if I'm just, my life is slower right now and I'm recognizing it more. I'm not sure. But I'll, I'll tell you, I can't, I can't take another childhood hero dying. I mean, it has been just stunning to me. So many of the people when I was a child and a teenager who were, who were my boyhood heroes have died. 
Tom Seaver and Bob Gibson and Tommy Lasorda and Don Sutton and Joe Morgan and Al Kaline. And then this week, Hank Aaron dies. Hank Aaron. When I was 16 years old, it was the year before, summer before my senior year in high school, I went to Clayton, Georgia to work at the Atlanta Braves sports camp. That's what it was called in those days. It's no longer there. My brother was a part of the camp. He was uh, one of the directors. And they offered tutelage in soccer, football, basketball, and baseball. And professional coaches would come in. Players from the various Atlanta pro teams would come out uh, from time to time during the two-week span that a kid was there. Every two weeks, you had another group come in. And my job as, an, as kind of a counselor on that staff, I had a cabin full of kids. I think we had a dozen assigned to us. And then we would assist with the instruction. I don't mean we would coach. I mean we would assist with these bigwigs who were actually coaching. And my brother assigned Hank Aaron's son, one of them, to my cabin the two weeks that he was coming to camp. He did it because he, he trusted me to take care of him and make sure nothing happened to Hank Aaron's son that was bad during these two weeks. And, and one day in those two weeks, we were out on the baseball field. I had been assigned to that particular sport. And I was pitching bunting and batting practice to these kids. They were in line. They would come to the plate one at a time. And they would be given instruction. So I was throwing to them as the coaches and the managers were teaching them uh, how to bunt and to hit uh, a baseball. And everybody, I had my back to the big cabin up at the top of the hill, and everybody, you could hear a buzz in the kids and the coaches, and everybody kind of stopped, and they were looking. And I didn't know what they were looking at, and I turned around, and there stood Hank Aaron on the porch of the cabin where everybody checked in when they came to the camp. And then we proceeded to continue the instruction. And as I threw these balls to these kids to bunt... Uh, Aaron came walking down from the cabin and he walked all the way down to where the kids were standing and the coaches were standing. And there he was, Hank Aaron. He at that time was chasing the home run record and was getting closer and closer and closer. And it was becoming a possibility that he would break a record that had been seen as absolutely unbreakable for so long. If you were a baseball fan in those days and someone said 714, you knew what they were talking about. That was the home run record of Babe Ruth. And Aaron was approaching that thing. He was in the 600s and if he played long enough, it looked like he might have a chance to break this unbreakable record. So at that time, he was one of the most famous athletes on the face of the planet. He had on a nice coat and a shirt. 
And, and, and I, I was watching as I was throwing these kids a ball. And when his son Larry came up to the plate, he took his coat off and he pitched it over. And he said, Larry, how about letting me take a few swings? And all I could think of was, how about not? <laughs> I, was, I was unbelievably nervous. And I thought I'm about to embarrass myself because I'm going to choke and I'm not going to be able to throw a ball across the plate. I'm going to be so uptight. And he stepped in graciously and he said, he said, okay, I'm ready. Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron is standing at the plate and he says, okay, I'm ready. And I threw a ball in there and you know what I did? I bounced it. I did. <laughs> It wasn't remotely close to a strike. And I did not want one of the coaches to say, hey, Chuck, we'll have somebody else do this. And they gave me another chance, and I threw the ball across the plate. He bunted it. He bunted down the first baseline, and he said, all right, this time I'm going to bunt down the third baseline. And the truth is he made it easy because wherever I threw it, even if it was not in the best position to bunt the ball here, he still could do it. So he bunted, he bunted, he bunted, he bunted. And then he said, Chuck, he'd learned my name, he said, Chuck, I'd like to hit a few. And of course, the kids were all excited. And so I threw a ball in, and before I threw it, he said, I'm going to hit this one to right field, a line drive. And so... You, you try to throw somebody a ball. I don't want to get too technical, but if, if a right-handed hitter is going to hit it that way, you try to throw the ball outside, not inside, because it's a lot easier to hit it that way. Everybody, that's easy enough, isn't it? I threw it. I don't know. It was a strike, but I mean, it wasn't. That. Boom, he hit a line drive to right field, and he hit about three of them. And then he said, now I'm going to try to hit one deep. And there was a bank out beyond the field, probably about... 300 feet down the line, maybe 410 or 15 feet down the middle. So it was a big league distance. And he hit a ball about 350 to right field, just a towering shot. And then he hit another one, and he hit another one. And then he said, Chuck, throw me a few more. I'm going to bunt to third base. He bunted to third base. And then he said, I'm going to hit a few fly ball. I'm going to hit a line drive to left field. He did fly ball. He hit two or three. 350-foot shots to left field. And then the big deal was I'm going to try to hit one out to center, which was about a 400-foot shot. And I threw him some pitches, and he hit about five out to center field uh, over the bank. Here's, here's the point of the story. The reason that, that Hank Aaron was such an incredible baseball player is because unlike most people who play that sport, he had very few weaknesses. We talk about there being a hole in someone's swing, and that means they have a weakness. They can't hit the high ball or the low ball or the inside pitch or the outside pitch, or they can't hit a ball like a curve ball that breaks. Aaron had no weaknesses. He could hit anything. And so for his 20-plus year career, he hit over 300. And it's 755 home runs. But you see, that's fine in baseball. But Hank Aaron is like the rest of us in real life. 
He faced temptation too because he had weaknesses and we have weaknesses as well. And that's where temptation comes. Stephen would never select a piece of music for one of you to sing that was out of your range. He wouldn't do it. Somewhere as great as y'all are, there is some song out there that is out of your range. That does not mean you cannot sing. It just means it's out of your range. So Stephen is not going to cater to that. The problem with temptation is temptation is no respecter of persons. It's going exactly to what is out of your range. It's going to to attack you at your weakest spot. Confront it. And it's not going to be enough to say, you're not the boss of me. Isaiah 45.22 says, Look to me, and you will be saved. Look to me. Jesus spends three chapters in Matthew preaching the greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And if you boiled all that down, what is the heart of the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the children of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You have heard it said, Thou shalt not commit murder. But I say unto you, anyone who has been angry in their heart with another has already committed murder. So we know the Sermon on the Mount. But what is the essence of the Sermon on the Mount? Focus your heart and your mind on Me. That's the only way. Look at Me, Isaiah declares, and you shall be saved. Look at Me. Focus on Me with your heart and with your mind. Love today like there's no tomorrow. And if there is, love again. Love today with a sense of urgency. Focus, focus your heart and your mind on the one who was tempted but knew no sin. The one who came not to turn stones into bread, not to leap from the pinnacle of the temple, not to be the king of this world, but the one who came to create a kingdom for those who would long and desire and risk following in his steps. And that one told us, Look at me. Look at me, for He is the standard. Love one another the way I have loved you. Temptation is to be expected. But temptation must also be understood. And temptation must be confronted by you and by me. And if we can do that,
than, than I think somewhere in the corridors of our heart we will hear that that voice. You are my beloved in whom I am well pleased. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Gracious God, we have all been tempted. Unlike You, we have succumbed to that temptation. And yet, we have found You to be merciful and gracious. But let us not take mercy and grace for granted. Let us do our best to keep our eyes focused upon You. Let us not think that temptation will not come our way. Let us not be deceived by the great deceiver. Let us confront it in the power of Your Spirit, in the power of Your grace. And where our faith is not enough, fill in those places. And where our hope is not enough, fill that cup to the full. And where our love is not enough, add to it, O God, we ask, that we might indeed not only please You, which is the desire of our heart, but that we might also bless Your people. That this town and this church would be better because we're a part of it. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thanks for listening. To listen to more sermons, read past devotions, or look up opportunities on how to connect, visit us at AthensFirstUMC.org. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following us on Instagram or Facebook at AthensFirstUMC. Oh Lord, I'm getting ready.